0: Welcome to Big Questions Little Time, conversations on sustainable development. We can all agree that we need to find solutions to the societal challenges we're faced with, and we need to find them now. But how do we actually do that? Here at Copenhagen Business School, the Centre for Business and Development Studies and the CBS Sustainability Centre have joined forces to bring in international thought leaders from a wide variety of fields and disciplines. Following the same structure for each episode, we wish to critically explore if, how, and under which conditions any given approach can bring about change and sustainable development. Big Questions Little Time refers not only to the urgency for us to find possible solutions, but also the limited timeframe for each episode.
1: So I'm Lindsay Whitfield, Professor of Business and Development and also the co-director of the Centre for Business and Development Studies.
2: And my name is Sten Valentin. I'm Associate Professor in the Department of Management, Society and Communication and the Academic Director of the CPS Sustainability Center.
0: Meet Lindsay Whitfield and Stein Valentine. For this episode, they've joined me, Sarah Netta, in the studio to talk about circular economy. Welcome. Welcome, Lindsay. Welcome, Steen. And thank you both so much for joining me in our studio today. I've been looking very much forward to recording this very first episode of the Big Questions Little Time podcast with the two of you. And um, usually we follow the same structure as with our webinar series, where we explore if, how, and under which conditions any given approach can bring about sustainable development. And um, this being our very first podcast episode Things are slightly different. So before we dive into the topical focus of today's session, which is circular economy, I'd like to ask you a few questions about the rationale behind this podcast series. Steen, you're the director of the CBS Sustainability Center and um, also one of the founding fathers or founding parents in that sense of this podcast. So why this podcast?
2: To recollect the title, I mean, big questions, little time. Um, Green transition is truly the great challenge of our generation. So it's important that we at the center, at CBS, are very much part of addressing these issues and putting the finger on, you might say, the the urgent points when it comes to climate change issues, sustainable development, increasingly biodiversity. And you might say the very complex interplay between rules and regulations, market drivers, civil society organizations, the, the roles they can play, And how that all comes together in creating, you might say, the the reality of sustainable development.
0: Thank you. This podcast series is a collaboration between two of our research centers here at Copenhagen Business School, the CBS Sustainability Center and the Center for Business and Development Studies, of whom you are the director and co-directors, respectively. So, Lindsay, why the collaboration between the two centers on this format?
1: Well, at the Centre for Business and Development Studies, uh, we focus on global production networks or global supply chains. Most manufacturing takes place in emerging economies or in the global south. It's also where most of the virgin raw materials uh, used in manufacturing come from. So if we think uh, that moving to circular economy is not just about sustainable development or green industrialization within nation-states, Um, but equally about creating sustainable global supply chains, then we need to understand how global supply chains currently work and how they can be made transparent, traceable, and sustainable. And that requires combining research from the perspectives of the global north and the global south. And I think by collaborating, CBS Sustainability Center and CBDS really have the expertise to do that.
0: As mentioned earlier, we follow the same structure. We introduced this structure in our webinar series that we launched during COVID. The structure set is if, how, and under which conditions any given approach can bring about change and contribute to sustainable development. And given the two of you are very interested in working on circular economy, it was the most logical choice for us to start off this series with a conversation about circular economy. And I've been looking very much forward to this, considering that you both have very different approaches and angles on this topic. So I was wondering whether you could... Yeah, simply shed some light on how you see circular economy in the context of how this can contribute to sustainable development. Well, to start
2: with, I mean, if you are to try to define circular economy, and there are a lot of different de- definitions, I think several hundreds, uh, but you might say it's a concept that tries to embrace the entire production cycle from extraction of raw materials to post-consumption phases in order to, you might say, to optimize the use and reuse of resources and minimize waste. An important part of this is also the matter of engaging stakeholders. Often, I mean, circular economy is turned into something that is very technical and engineering-ish, supported by, you might say, hardcore economic modeling. But there's a very important my social, uh, human, behavioral side to this. That means we need to include uh, stakeholders in how we understand this. Ideally, People would say that's a very strong design component to to circular economy because the ideal is to for some smart engineer to sit down and from the you might say from from scratch be able to design a circular as opposed to linear uh, uh, production system that you might say produces very little residual waste. However, the challenge that we often have is you might say that we have these capital-intensive linear production systems and now need to find ways to make them somewhat less linear, more circular, and it's an enormous and daunting challenge in, in many ways. Yeah.
1: My approach is not that different, but I always like to start with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's uh, definition because it's very accessible and their work is also trying to make it more accessible with a simple definition that it's an industrial system that is restorative or regenerative by intention and design. But if we break that down into what I think are the, more, um, the most important aspects of that, it's a focus on using renewable resources and no use of non-renewable resources. It's about reducing contamination from harmful chemicals, but more importantly, waste, but as well as virgin resources, reducing the extraction or the rate of extraction of virgin resources from the planet through designing goods and services in a way that are more durable, that involve reuse, and remanufacturing, and only in the last case, recycling. Sometimes people equate circular with recycling, but this is very much wrong in the original conception of circular economy that came out of um, certain kind of economic thinkers in the 1970s already, like William Stahil. And lastly, thinking about, and this is a part I think that's often missed, thinking about ourselves as users instead of consumers. So it's not consuming based on individual ownership of something, which then produces a waste, but also thinking about how we can use goods and services based on different models of individual and collective ownership or temporary ownership, like renting instead of consuming and buying. So you rent something and you give it back. So these are some of the the, the fundamental ideas about it. So not thinking of individual ownership, I own a car, So we're not consumers, but we're users. So there's actually several different aspects of of circular economy, but I think these are the three important ones I would point out.
2: And and just to follow up on that, absolutely true. I mean, there's a kind of a misconception that uh, circular economy is about recycling, and it's the lowest form. It's the last resort. Sharing economy, talking about use and access rather than ownership, is very important. Maintaining, you might say, products in use, Re- remanufacturing and redistributing are kind of superior forms so that's that's very important you might say the ideal notion of circular economy and it has this mixture i think going back to cradle to cradle of uh, that I think the cradle to cradle concept was put together by a chemist and an architect or something like that so the idea is to design a system that allows molecules to circulate for as long as possible at the highest possible level of value so to speak and recycling stuff and Basically turning it into something that is a very ground material that is loathful. Can we keep our products in use for much longer? That is, you might say, much more conducive to this agenda. I think also going back to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, restorative and regenerative by design, uh, that is the ideal that we're striving for. And you might say part of the problem sometimes when we talk about circular economy is that we are almost blinded by this very ambitious ideal model of how a circular production Mm. system can look and the point is that we are pretty far away from that in in many ways in how we produce and distribute uh, and we can get back to the whole issue of what challenges are there then what barriers stand in the way of getting closer to realizing that ideal because again to say restorative and regenerative by design we can talk about certain startups and business models businesses that are you might say born circular. They are increasingly coming out. There's a whole ecosystem with business models strongly promoted by business associations that that strongly emphasize, you might say, um, uh, circular elements and uh, again, finding ways to reuse and remanufacture products. But again, huge parts of our industry are still struggling with this and are still fundamentally very linear
0: but keeping this in mind and now you've already touched to quite a large extent on on the sustainability dimensions of of circular economy but then to if if we try to narrow this down or really pinpoint on how circular economy actually can contribute to sustainable development what would you say what are kind of like the key elements here
2: i love to focus on aspirational talk and you know there are these very ambitious you know goals that have been set by a lot of businesses and by our politicians with regard to net zero and even net positive. And you might say underneath that is an idea that we need to become more circular. How could we, How else could we even imagine reaching that? There are other, you might say, necessities pointing up, even though those necessities will differ uh, depending on who you ask. But resource scarcity is coming. We've been talking about it for decades. Like copper and all kinds of, you might say, minerals are becoming more and more scarce. So a lot of companies uh, businesses are facing a future With increasing resource scarcity and increasing uh, prices on raw materials, meaning that they have a very strong incentive to move in this direction for sure. On top of that, when we talk about other drivers of this, climate change, of course, the fourth industrial uh, revolution, which is also about using technologies to increase access and so on and so forth. Customer expectations are often brought out. We can get back to that. I think part of the problem with customer expectations here, we love to talk about political or ethical consumers, have been talking about it for years. The problem is, I think a lot of them still don't understand what a circular economy is. There's something that is still, I believe, getting lost in translation. But also in terms of its role within circular economy, and this is also contested terrain, there are some who would say that, again, businesses need to be the drivers and government is moving too slowly. Others would say, for instance, in this part of the world, in in Europe, it's the EU that needs to, you might say, make the circular economy happen because we need standards in order to secure, uh, you might say, economies of scale and so on and so forth. I mean, the way it is, for instance, in Little Denmark, is that you have neighboring municipalities that are unable to collaborate on how they deal with uh, plastic waste and other forms of waste simply because they have different standards. So we need, you might say, legislation in, in order to create critical mass and economies of scale But what is interesting, and I don't have all the particulars on this, is of course that with the European Green Deal, for instance, and the uh, EU taxonomy, legislation is coming. The EU is now taking upon itself to define circular economy for businesses. And how is that even possible? You might say, well, time will tell. That work has not been finalized.
0: Lindsay, you are working very much with circular economy also in the Global South context. So how do you reflect upon the issues that Steen has brought forth?
1: I start by taking a little bit of a a step back and thinking about what are the fundamentals of circular economy, which I just talked about, and then what is sustainable development. And I want to start from the point of view of innovation, because moving from the current linear economy, industrial production, and consumption systems that we have to something that we call a circular um, economy production and consumption or use system requires innovation actually requires a lot of innovations and these innovations will or I would say they are in the process of producing creative destruction or what the economist Joseph Schumpeter called creative destruction where innovations are so radical that they destroy old production processes and products or rather replace them with new production processes and products replacing whole ways of doing things like computers did, as well as generating new products and production processes. And Schumpeter understood that actually it was technological innovation that underpinned the capitalist economic system. It is the driving motion that keeps it going forward. The drive of businesses to escape actually perfect competition through innovation in the search for above normal profits is the motor of capitalism. And why am I talking about that? And why am I talking about Schumpeter? Because I think that we will see this process drive the move to circular economy and sustainable development. You know, the drive for innovation and above normal profits is only temporary. And you see firms emulating increased competition and drive down the costs. And capitalism has gone through several of these kind of um, iterations. So what I see is that the move to a circular economy Capitalist, global capitalist economic system is not one that needs to be characterized by degrowth or post growth at all, actually. It will just be a new iteration of capitalism. And I think that gives, in a way, a very different perspective on sustainable development. Because I have colleagues that I debate with about this, and they think then that sustainable development, even in the global south, has to have some sort of fundamentally different kind of system. Or degrowth, it means that these countries will, will will not experience the same thing, but if you take a Schumpeterian perspective, actually it is a very different kind of perspective um, on sustainable development and and circular economy. And an example of this can be seen in what is being called the materials transition, right? So driven by new biotechnologies. The need to replace fossil fuels, which are in almost everything <laughs> that we consume. So actually, if we're going to stop using fossil fuels, stop using non-renewable resources um, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, we need fundamentally new materials, a transition to new materials. And these are being driven by new biotechnologies that are creating new intermediate inputs into all of our goods, as well as replacing virgin renewable resources, for example, like cotton, with ones that are also natural but uh, require less resources and definitely don't use harmful pesticides and fertilizers. And what we're seeing, going back to actually something that Steen said, is we're seeing startup firms that are really pioneering these new biotechnologies. Actually, the technologies exist. What the point that we're at is moving to scale and commercializing them and partnering with global brands and retailers to make that happen. And that's where we are and I think that will fundamentally move the system into a new iteration of creative destruction and that's sort of my approach to understanding um, how this links to sustainable development Mm
2: -hmm. and this is interesting I mean it reminds me of some of the um, critical literature on circular economy and uh, some of this comes from some of our friends in critical management studies that Mm -hmm. basically um, I mean are very critical towards anything that would have the word economy or corporate in it and that's an interesting discussion i mean if we use the distinction between strong and weak sustainability where circular economy belongs and some critical people say it belongs to weak sustainability because it's still kind of perpetuating the the old capitalist model and it's about you know making more efficient use and doesn't dig deep enough into to, to, to the root problems of capitalism and so on and so forth. Others would see that as a strength, that is kind of way of actually trying to transform our economy, and we need to do this, and, and a lot of people, very sound people, including myself, cannot really imagine a future without capitalism, but we need one with, a, you might say, a more human in face, and, and uh, one that is greener, for sure.
0: But keep in mind what you both have mentioned. Uh, Steen, you've touched upon these startups who are basically born circular. And Lindsay, you've talked about this new form of um, Schumpeterian um, iteration and uh, that we're basically at the at the brink or at the border of, of this developing. So what is currently hindering to scale this and that we see more development in this area?
2: That's a very interesting paper by some of our international colleagues. Adel, uh, who wrote a lot of very good papers on circular economy. And they distinguish between four different types of barriers. Um, I think going back to what Lindsay said, I mean, often the technology is there. Often we have this idea that, for instance, also when we look at aspirational talk and what we need to accomplish by 2050, we say that, well, it has not been developed yet. We don't have the technological know-how yet. In a lot of areas, a lot of instances, we do actually have the technology, but we haven't figured out how to scale it, to market it, uh, commercialize it, and maybe regulation stands in the way. But what's interesting about their paper saying is there, of course, there are technological barriers. There are also regulatory barriers, market barriers, but they say the most important barrier is culture. And that at least is an interesting point, because that also means that there's something to work on here, that it's barriers inside people's heads, for instance, corporate leaders who are not used to thinking of waste as anything other than waste. When it's waste, it's no longer our problem. It's no longer our responsibility. It's also about consumers, basically, they don't know and therefore don't care enough, so to speak. Conservative uh, ways of doing things. Uh, so it's about culture. It's about mindsets in businesses, among stakeholders, among consumers. That's what they're saying. Of course, the whole system needs to be optimized. And I think you are seeing this, for instance, with, with in, within construction that now increasingly you are able to be able to, yeah, to export you might say, poisonous uh, or toxic materials from construction to other countries. The problem that we've had in Europe is, uh, at least in some instances, that it's illegal to uh, export toxic materials, toxic waste. So you might have, you might say, a toxic product in Denmark, and you might have a process in the Netherlands that can actually do the circular thing, turn waste into value, but you're not allowed to move that material to Netherlands. I think we are increasingly, you might say, solving those types of problems. So, Definitely, there are regulatory challenges in making this system work more efficiently. There are all kinds of ways. This also very much relates to global supply chains in which markets do not incentivize circularity. For instance, with the very, very low price of virtuous materials, I mean, for instance, in, in fashion and in, in, in clothes manufacturing, I mean, virtuous materials are way too, you might say, cheap and often better than the recycled alternatives. So... There's a lack of, you might say, effective incentives in in that system. But I think pointing to culture at least gives us a chance saying it's not just about external conditions. It's also about the way that we think in modern business.
1: I agree, but we were also taught to think that way and learned to think that way. So I think that we can move again, right? I mean, I don't see that 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 is the major obstacle, because I see that as being driven by the business models of corporations. So exactly as you said, it was the creation of these, you know, far flung, fragmented supply chains that searched for ever cheaper, I wouldn't say so much as raw materials, because that depends on agricultural cycles of supply and demand. But actually, the never ending search for cheap labor, for the exploitation of low wages and an uneven global economy, led to that. And then, in the global north, we got used to that, and the new generations, even our generation and, of course, the generation now, think that there is no other world than that, and that food should be at that price, and clothes should be at that price. So it's about learning that actually, no, those are negative externalities that are not you know, caught in the price. So for me, I take a step back, but I'm a structural economist, so I would say this, mm-hmm. that... Um, I think one of the biggest factors hindering the move um, to circular economy business models, at least in the sectors I have been looking at, is financialization, is the financialization of corporations, which lead to an extremely short term focus on generating profit, but profit basically returns for investors. That led completely to the outsourcing of manufacturing, where competition had increased across the globe after the 50s when Asia started manufacturing, and it was cheaper to manufacture there. And then this focus on areas that could generate high value, often through intellectual property rights or other barriers to entry. Um, And this continuous drive to just Increased liquidity in the cash flow and most of that being paid outside the firm means that we see a lot of firms that couldn't weather the COVID shock, all the ones that went bankrupt in the retail sector, but also are not investing in R&D, not investing inside. And this leads corporations, you know, to generate cash flow in the quickest and easiest way. And that basically means maintaining status quo business models. So that's a sort of inertia, whereas the kind of innovations um, and bringing them to scale – which reduces their costs and makes them competitive with existing technologies and raw materials, requires a longer time horizon for investment. But to go to the space for optimism, which you were talking about, we see some other things going on in finance, and we see some things going on in the regulatory sphere that, that Steen said. So just to be specific, let me take the example I know best, which is from the global apparel or global fashion industry. Some of the large global apparel brands and retailers are investing in these startups that are creating the new biotechnologies and recycling technologies. So in the past, yes, recycled materials weren't good enough, but that's not the case anymore. So these technologies exist, but it's about moving them from the lab to the factories. And that requires, well, even in the lab required a lot of money, but also moving it into factories, getting factories in Cambodia, Indonesia, Turkey, who are interested in trying to operate this at scale, which will drive down costs. But it also requires collaboration across actors. So they have to know that a buyer is going to want to buy it. And but all of these things are happening right now. And they're driven by the investments into this across a series of partnerships by some large retailers and brands. And so it got me thinking that, you know, I think what we need is to see a venture capitalism industry form around the biotech sector to drive it in the same way that happened in Silicon Valley. Most people don't know this, but the reason we were able to move from innovations in microelectronics to actual products and cheap products was completely dependent on the venture capital industry that existed in Silicon Valley. Without that, it wouldn't have existed. So you could see actually that emerging. So not just brands investing, but this sort of larger system and then the second space for optimism, as Steen said, is exactly in EU legislation. Again, if we look at the EU Strategy for Sustainable and Circular Textiles that was published in March last year in 22, it's quite detailed, but I think the key point is that it is expected to demand the use or a minimum amount of sustainable fibers and recycling of waste. And what that does, and we're seeing this already, is it creates a market. It creates a market for something that didn't exist before. And what that does is it creates the business case. So you have these startups and you have this technology. This technology that existed before, but nobody cared. But then when you create a market for it and you create a greater demand, it leads to a better business case for investments in these startups. And these two, I think, things could go together. So I'm quite optimistic that maybe this side of finance not the financialization, sorry, but maybe the, you know, the startup investments and even venture capital will drive the commercialization of the new biotechnologies and new business models that we need to see.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you wish to stay in the loop or participate in the Big Questions Little Time podcast, please subscribe on your usual platform, or contact me, Center Manager Sarah Netta via sn.msc at cbs.dk. The music used in this podcast is Impossible Nothing by Crowender.